If you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah 9, um, and uh, I'm going to read real quick. If you would stand with me, we're going to read verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to jump into what it means to be or to live with peace. Isaiah chapter 9, some 800 years before Jesus is born, he's proclaiming what would happen. God is proclaiming to or through Isaiah what was going to happen uh, when the Messiah was to come. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you speak to us through the power of your word. God, that we can experience the peace that you talk about so much in scripture, that we can understand what it means to have peace as a result of a relationship with you and how you give us a relationship with the Father because you paid the price. So Lord, we pray today that you would speak to us, that your spirit would move and be active and convict and guide. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat as you do. <clears throat> I want to bring to your attention about a gentleman named Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss had joined the U.S. Army as a combat medic as well as a conscientious objector. In other words, he would not carry a weapon. And he did this on April 1st, 1942. He was assigned to an infantry rifle company, but his refusal to carry created disdain with his fellow soldiers as well as his commanding officer. They all believed he was a liability, he wasn't worthwhile, and he was more of a problem than a solver. And he believed, though, his job was to obey God and serve his country. Doss served and earned the trust of his soldiers as he cared for their needs on the islands of Guam and Leyte. In each time, he exhibited great dedication to his men staying busy saving their lives, at times doing what he could to take care of their blisters, using his own canteen to provide water for those who were dehydrated. And in May of 1945, Japanese troops were fiercely defending Okinawa and the American target was to capture the Maeda Escarpment, better known as Hacksaw Ridge. After securing the top of the cliff, the Japanese forces, well, let me clarify, after the U.S. forces secured the top of the cliff, the Japanese forces attacked, causing officers to call for a retreat. As hundreds of American soldiers lay wounded and dying, one soldier disobeyed the orders of his officers in disregard for his own life, and he charged back into the fight. That man was Desmond Doss. His commitment, determination, and courage resulted in at least 75 lives being saved that day. On October 12, 1945, Doss stood on the White House lawn and was rewarded the Congressional Medal of Honor by Harry S. Truman. Now I want to put this into perspective. Only 431 individuals out of 16 million servicemen received this honor. President Harry S. Truman warmly shook his hand and said to Doss in front of the crowd, I'm proud of you. You really deserve this. I consider this a great honor, a greater honor than being your president. Now, 
I want you to think about it this way, because the truth of the matter is that most of us, most of our lives, we look for peace. Matter of fact, we long for peace. Matter of fact, the world continues to long for peace. But I wanted to let you know something. I found this out. The Personal Journal reported this incredible statistic. Since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. 8%. Like, so when we long for peace, a lot of times we're like, oh my gosh, is this really all there is? Less than 8% of the time. In its study, the periodical discovered that of the 3,530 years of recorded history, only 286 years have seen peace. And over 8,000 peace treaties were made and broken during that time. Now, as we enter into this Christmas season, it's oftentimes easy to sit back and say, hey, we want to see peace, right? Like there's the old adage, if you've ever watched uh, Miss Congeniality, what does everybody want? World peace, right? There's this idea of peace. And, and here's, here's the truth. Here's, here's the reality. Here's the struggle oftentimes in our lives is we walk through what is going on in our life? And we sit back and we go, man, if it was just a little bit more peaceful, man, if it wasn't quite so chaotic, oh, if I could just experience peace, right? Every mom who has a young baby goes, oh, the longing for, every parent who has kids goes, oh, if I could just get peace, <laughs> right? Every wife even goes, oh, if I could just get some peace and quiet away from my husband, right? There's, there's things that go on like that, but it's, it's, it's something that we oftentimes look and we go, man, at Christmas time, if we could just experience peace, and that's exactly what Jesus came to bring, right? We just saw that he's identified as the Prince of Peace. He will be called the Prince of Peace. So my big question or big idea or my big pondering thought is like, how do we experience peace in our lives daily with everything that goes on around us? Most of us identify peace as perfect circumstances. When what I want to say is this, I believe peace comes in the perfect person. Like if you're going to look for peace then you have to look for it in a person, not in a circumstance. Because the last I checked, our circumstances change pretty consistently, don't they? Like you could wake up one morning, you go, oh, peace. And by nine o'clock in the morning, you're like, oh, chaos, right? Like what the heck just happened? And you don't know what it is. It could be a car wreck. It could be sickness. It could be, you know, you don't know what. You're going to face all kinds of circumstances. I'm going to face all kinds of circumstances and struggle. And so when I look at peace from a circumstance perspective, it may oftentimes disappear or vanish pretty quickly. But when I look at peace from a person, then I can walk through the storms. I can face the trials. I can get up knowing that today may be a little bit more difficult, but I can go through the day with a peace, a calming assurance, because I know who my Savior is, and I know He lives, and He's working and moving in my life. So here's the big idea. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. The Christmas message is this. There is hope for peace with God peace with others, and peace within our hearts. You know, we just 
lit the second candle of peace, and last week was hope, right? Like we looked at hope, but the Christmas message is that there is hope for peace with God. Now, for those of you who didn't maybe grow up in church or have never taken part in Advent, each one of these candles represents something. Last week, we talked about hope. This week, we're going to talk about peace. Next week, we're going to talk about joy. The third week, we're going to talk about love. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about Christ, the center of all things. As a matter of fact, you'll notice that candle is the biggest candle. I know it's not the tallest right now, but it's the biggest candle. It's in the center. Why? Because everything revolves around who? Jesus. And here's all I can affirm today from our text as we look at a number of other texts is this, that you will never know true peace if you do not know Jesus. Why? Because every circumstance is different. Every day changes. Every time, every second, every moment, things can vanish and things can show up, which can lead to peace or can lead to more chaos. And so today, as I looked at this, as I was studying over this idea of peace, I want to encourage you with these three things. Number one, that Jesus gives us peace with God. Jesus gives us peace with God. Now, I want to bring this up because I think it's, it's, it's highly ironic. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, Everybody's like, wait, what? You just said that Jesus gives us peace with God. But Jesus also said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And here's the reality. Jesus came as the promised prince of peace, but make no mistake about it, he knew he wouldn't bring peace for everyone, right? Jesus Jesus offers peace for everyone, but Jesus doesn't bring peace for everyone because it really is based upon the fact that you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. You're never going to experience, I believe, true peace with God unless you experience it through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that there is only one way to peace with God, and that's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no peace apart or with God. There is no peace with God apart from Christ. Now, I know what society says. I know what culture says. I know what multiple religious ideologies say. I know what cults say. I know all of those things. But listen, among the names of Jesus, this is a key one, the Prince of Peace. In other words, if I want to experience the peace that passes all understanding. I want to experience the peace that God offers. I want to experience peace with God, then I have to experience it through Jesus. Why? Because that is his name. He is the Prince of Peace. And I want to make it very clear that Jesus came to bring peace, but the peace that he came to bring was between God and man. And so when he says this idea of didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, I want us to know, or I want Christians to know very clearly, I want you to know that when he says this, he knew that when he would die on the cross, he was going to create controversy or conflict amongst family members, amongst friends, amongst people you work with. In other words, you may be walking in great faith. You may have put your faith and trust in Christ, and you're experiencing the peace of God, but at the same time, there are those who are adamantly against the sacrifice of Jesus, who say they want peace with God, but they think peace with God comes through their works 
It comes through accepting of all kinds of ideologies and beliefs and opinions when the truth of the matter is the only peace you'll ever receive is the peace you receive as a result of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross so that you and I have access to the Father. Matter of fact, there is something that takes place when Jesus died. It says that the veil was what? Torn in two. Keep in mind that the veil was the very thing that kept the separation between man and who? God. And when Jesus died on the cross, because of his sacrificial death on the cross, it says that the veil was ripped or torn in two, which now signifies that as a result of Jesus' death, that I can have direct access to God the Father, I can have peace with God as a result, not of my good works, not of my given money, not of my attendance at church, not, not even because of all the great things I can think I'm going to do, the serving, the taking care of the poor, and all those things. I have access to God the Father through the Son because of His sacrificial death on the cross. So the peace we experience first is the peace that we can only receive as a result of Jesus. It's peace with God. As a matter of fact, the Bible's very clear in, in Genesis chapter 3, right? That, that, that God was going to put enmity between who? Satan and man. And what I want to encourage you with is this, that when we think about that, what God is saying is that there is the sword, there is conflict between Satan and man, and Satan is going to do everything he can to discourage us from walking in peace with God. See, those who reject God and his way of salvation through Jesus will always be at war with God, always. And if you continue to reject God, God is a respecter of persons. I hope you get that out. Get, get that in your mind. God respects your wishes. So when somebody tells me, God, I don't need it. I don't need you. I don't need your help. Can I tell you what God's going to do? He's going to be like, all right, I will respect you as an individual. And I'm going to leave you to your own. But when I call upon God, it says that he pays the very price I need. As a matter of fact, if you were have your Bibles, you can flip to Colossians chapter 1. It'll be up on the screen as well. Colossians 1 says this, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by, listen, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. How did he make peace? Through the blood shed on the cross. So in order to experience peace in my life, the experience of peace has to start first with the person of Jesus. I have to understand that Jesus gives me peace with God. So I am able to commune with God. I am able to converse with God. I am able to see God. I am able to access God. As a matter of fact, that's what we call the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer is this. I don't have to go to any one special person in particular to access God. I can go directly to God as a result of the relationship I have through his son, Jesus Christ, because of the shed blood on the cross. He gives the very peace that we need, and that's the promise of salvation. That's the promise of what Jesus came. I love the reading that they did earlier because that's the reality. Most of us look and go, oh, sweet baby Jesus, do you realize the reality of what was going on? 
Next time you hold a baby, and I love taking my little pinky, and they grab on, and they just squeeze tight, right? Next time you hold the baby, just think in mind what Mary was thinking, my sweet baby boy, that some 33 years later, those same hands that are squeezing his mother's finger were the same hands that were spread out across that cross and nailed to it so that you and I could have peace with God. That same head that she would nuzzle up against and rub and hold and care for would be the same head that would be what? Covered with a crown of thorns, bleeding profusely. Jesus gives us peace with God. And that's why we wait with expectation, with great hope. And we celebrate the birth. You realize most of us, most of us oftentimes take for granted the very celebration of what Christmas signifies. And the reality is, when you think about the expectation, the hope, the waiting, I hope it just sets something in fire, on fire inside your soul to think about the peace you can have as a result of a relationship with Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's inevitable that there's going to be conflict, right? Good and evil, Christ and the Antichrist, light and darkness, children of God, children of the devil, Chiefs fans, Broncos fans. <laughs> Go Raiders. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know. I'm not even looking. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what caused that, but listen, because of the cross, we can have peace through the forgiveness of sin. Because of the empty tomb, we can have peace that death has been defeated and life begins. Because of the resurrection, we can have peace even in the midst of the difficult situations. Why? Because God is in control. Every circumstance, every situation I go through, I can have peace. Why? Because in Christ, we find the promised Prince of Peace. He gives us peace with God. And number two, he gives us an inner peace. True inner peace from Christ leads to peace with others. Now, doesn't mean there's not going to be disagreement. But I believe this, that when we understand our peace with God, that we can receive an inner peace from Christ that leads to peace with others. Are you a pessimist? Are you a person who always looks for the negative? Are you always critical of other people? My question becomes this. When you find true inner peace with God, can you express that peace to others with those kinds of attitudes? What I find is oftentimes when I'm most not at peace, I'm also the most critical. Listen to what Luke chapter 2 says. We read it earlier. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Do you realize that the favor of God rests upon you if you are a follower of Jesus? 
that God pours out his mercy, that God's favor rests upon those who faithfully confess him and seek him, that, that God wants to grant you the favor with other individuals, that, that Christ's atonement was the key to God's forgiveness, and we now have peace with God, that is only the foundation with peace. I don't know if I leaned on my box or what. But true inner peace from Christ leads to peace with others. And yet, I'm not saying this, this isn't necessarily Christian things, but like how often do we go out shopping and we end up getting really frustrated over the lines or somebody cut me off or, I mean, like even to a certain extent, the videos you see of people fighting over Black Friday sales, which I didn't see any this year, but I'll be honest with you, I quit watching news. <laughs> I literally did. So if it was on there, you may be a news watcher. You may be like, oh, dude, you missed out on it. Um, I'm at this point where I really don't care because I feel a lot more peace when I don't watch the news. <laughs> All right. Rick Warren says it this way. The Bible talks about three kinds of peace. There's peace with God, which is what we talked about. There's the peace of God and there's peace with each other. And I believe wholeheartedly that I don't think you can give peace with other people when you walk without peace from God. Why? Because the Bible is very clear that I learn to treat others the way I want to be treated, that I'm to love my neighbor as myself, that at times I am to love my enemy, right? The Bible is very clear that love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And when I think about that, the only way I could ever do that is when I have peace from who first? God. How do you love somebody who is your enemy if you're apart from God? And what I can say is I don't think you can. That's why we have the cultural climate we have right now. Because anybody who disagrees with me is a what? Enemy. And my enemies, I cancel. My enemies, I torture. My enemies, I get fired. My enemies, I treat like trash. My enemies, I kill in certain circumstances in, in our climate. So in order to experience a true inner peace, I, I, I experience that true inner peace from Christ that leads me to peace with others. That's the reality of what Scripture wants to lay out to us. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. And I want to read this. I've got a couple of verses we're going to read just as we continue in this. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Sorry, that's verse three, the chapter 3. My bad. Read, flip over. Delete that. <laughs> chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, for those of you who don't realize, what he's saying is there were Jews and there were Gentiles, and Jesus destroyed the dividing wall between the two. The barrier is no longer there, that we are the same, we are similar, we're likewise, we're different, but yet at the same time, we're in the same situation. He divided or destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in the flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace 
And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. I want you to see what's going on here when we talk about this. Jesus is talking about this love together of others, regardless of racial background, regardless of where they're at. There are Jews, there are Gentiles, but we're all in one standing. And that one standing is we've all been hostile to God. That's called sin. And as a result of that hostility, there was a payment that had to be paid, which Jesus paid. And as a result of Jesus paying that, it says he destroyed the barrier between both Jew and Gentile, and he gives us peace. And so therefore, we can be at peace with one another. Why? Because God did something that we couldn't do. It says, verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and the peace to those who were near, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So at the time, what would have been said was the Jews would have said, hey, we're near, and the Gentiles would have been like, we're far. And he says, listen, I came to preach both good news or peace to those who were far and near. Why? Because true inner peace comes in Christ, and it can lead to peace with others as well. So... As we walk into Christmas, maybe there's some conflict in your family. Maybe there's some struggle with coworkers. Maybe you've had problems with people even in the church. When we begin to understand what he's trying to lay out, then we can see that the closer we draw to God, the more of his peace we enjoy. And the more of his peace we enjoy, the more we're able to give peace or, or live peace out. See, you cannot give what you don't have. You can't bring love to others if you don't possess the love of God first, and you can't bring peace when you don't possess peace yourself. That's why chaos oftentimes rules. When my life is chaotic, what happens? Chaos kind of becomes the thing that I create or repeat, or do. But when I walk in peace, when I live in peace, guess what you can bring? You can bring peace. Now, in the midst of conflict, I could calm a storm. Why? Because I'm at peace. In the midst of frustration, I can allow a person to vent, and in order to remain or keep the peace, I can let him vent and walk away. See, it says that God has already broken down the dividing walls of hostility and created a place where true peace is to be found. Do you know where that place is? I believe that place is the church. Believers, followers of Jesus meeting together, united around the cause of the gospel, saved by faith in Jesus Christ because of his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection. And it should be a place for peace. Even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of storm, even in the midst of trial and tribulation, that there's a peace, a calming assurance, knowing that true inner peace comes in Christ. And then number three is this, that Jesus will keep us in perfect peace. Think about it that way. If the Christmas message is that there is hope for peace with God, 
peace with others, and peace within our hearts. I want to ask this question. Is there peace in your heart? I think one of the biggest struggles that we oftentimes face is the reality that we have peace with God. We've walked through the motions. We've said a prayer. We believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. But there's turmoil in your heart. There's frustration. There's anxiety. There's worry. Let me ask this question. What causes you to fear? What causes you to worry? What causes the anger and the frustration? What causes the uncertainty? What causes the lack of trust? All of these, I believe, are just a simple lack of faith. Because listen to what John chapter 14 says. Jesus said it this way. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We just talked about fear, worry, frustration, anger. And Jesus says, peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. Keep in mind, Jesus or salvation is a gift from God. And I believe as a result of that salvation, another gift that we receive is peace. So when we kind of come up with this idea, how do I walk in perfect peace? I learn to live in the peace that God gives me day in and day out. Not built upon circumstances, right? For so many of us, our peace is built upon circumstances. Banks paid off. Home's paid for, making enough money, not having a conflict with my wife or my husband, kids are doing good, I'm not having chaos at work, and yet at the same time, we'll sit back and go, oh my gosh, there's no peace. And what Jesus says is, I leave my peace with you, and I will give you my peace. And he says, I don't give as the world gives. In other words, he's not one who takes it back. He's not one who's going to take it away from you. But Jesus will keep us in perfect peace. Watchman Nee, an old pastor, said it this way, a born-again person ought to possess unspeakable peace in the Spirit. And when we allow the Spirit to lead us, we walk in a peace that is unmatched, unexplained. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So I go back to that idea. What is it that keeps you from peace? Fear, worry, anxiety, struggles, depression. Not everyone who has made peace with God has realized the peace of God. Not everyone who has made peace with God has realized the peace of God. And so as we close with this today, I want to ask this question. Do you have peace? Peace with God first, that's, that's the number one thing. You're not going to experience the peace that we're talking about, the inner peace, the, 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 the peace that passes all understanding, the perfect peace that God gives. You'll never understand that apart from Christ. 
But if you have peace with Christ, if you have peace with God through Christ, then my question next is this. Do you have peace with yourself, with others in Jesus? Do you struggle with peace in your life daily? Do you, do you look to the circumstances of what's going on in life for peace? John 16, says it this way. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And I want to close with these verses, Colossians chapter 3, in a very simple way, I just want to read it. It says this, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's my prayer for you today. That the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts as we wait expectantly to celebrate the birth of the Savior, Christ in a manger, the child who would live a sinless life, die on a cross, and rise again. Do you have peace with God? Are you lacking peace with others? And the truth of the matter, do you also have an inner peace, a perfect peace that God wants to build in you? Father, we pray today and thank you. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. The simple manger. A simple child, miraculously born through the power of the Spirit. When many were expecting a political ruler, the Savior of the Israelite kingdom, you sent Jesus in a lowly manger to save not just the Israelites, the Jewish people, but to save all people, all mankind. And God, as I think about a peace, a peace that passes all understanding, God, that we can rest assured with peace that you have all things in control and that you hold the world in your hands and that we can know that regardless of what we face, regardless of life's circumstances and the difficulties we may face, that we can rest in the perfect peace that Christ gives. So God, I pray that whether it's somebody who needs to place their faith and trust in Jesus the first time, to have a peace with God, or it's just the fact that we need to walk in the perfect peace that God, that you give us through Christ, that this Christmas season, this Advent season, would be a time of great hope in the peace that we can have through Christ with you 
and with others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.